The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Don't you? 
because it's been building up. Now, no one around you feels better. But man, you feel better, don't you? When you get full vent to that, when that stuff kind of starts finally splashing out of you. So what do we do? Like when that, whatever, whatever it is that's filling us, maybe for some of you, you got a, you got a thunderstorm brewing inside of you. You got, you got some trouble stirring inside of you. When that finally starts splashing out, you start to feel a little bit better. But man, it's so disruptive and so chaotic to those around you. I want to introduce you to some men that their stories recorded in the Bible from eyewitness accounts who were nicknamed thunderstorms because that's exactly what was going on in their lives. So let me kind of quickly give you a flyover of their story. I'm going to introduce them to you. Their names are James and John. They're brothers, and they, they work a business together with their dad as fishermen. Now, you hear fishermen, you think like what you go out and do on a Saturday morning. Now, I'm talking like this is their business, and if your business is fishing, fishermen, what are you? You're a sailor, and, and sailors are not known for their clean mouths. Or their great attitudes. And James and John fit the stereotype. In fact, they might be the reason for the stereotype. And Jesus, uh, he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee in the village or the community of Capernaum. And he invites two other brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, to come and follow him. And then he continues walking. He's got these two guys and their business partners with James, John, and, his, and their dad. And so it says this, we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 5, I mean chapter 4, and it simply says this, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, meaning he had just invited Simon Peter and Andrew, and so he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him, which is great, and uh, Jesus gave them a nickname, Boanerges, which means thunderstorms, or sons of thunder. Like, these guys are trouble. So let me give you a quick snapshot into what makes them trouble. So I'm going to give you kind of a fly over here. We're going to fast forward toward the end of Jesus' life, okay? So Jesus has been doing ministry with these guys now for three years, and uh, as he's approaching his death, which he has foretold, I mean, he's telling them, I'm about to die. Jesus invites Simon Peter, James, and John to go up on a mountainside. Now, today we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because of what happens next. They go up on the mountainside, and basically Jesus allows them for a moment to see his full divinity. His glory shines through his physical body, and he's like glowing like the sun. And and the three of them are like jaw-dropped, awestruck, dumbfounded because now they're seeing God in his full glory. And, and Jesus was basically just given a quick snapshot and he chose these three guys. Then they come down the mountain and, and the passage says that Jesus was resolutely set to go to Jerusalem. I mean, he was determined this is where I have to go because this is where he's going to die. And so as they're going to Jerusalem, they're, they're walking and they pass through a, a village A Samaritan village. Now, again, if you don't have a context for this, let me give you a quick background. The the Samaritans and the Jews have a really serious racial conflict. There's a a lot of 
bigotry and prejudice there. They, it's not just like they don't get along. This is a deep racial divide. There's hatred. There's, there's religious prejudice. There's, there's all kinds of ethnic issues going on here. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking through a Samaritan village, and they kind of want to pause. They've been on a long walk uh, or a long traveling uh, day, and they're going to possibly pause in this village to stay for the night. And that's where our story picks up in Luke chapter 9 verse uh, 53, where it says this, but the people there did not welcome them. Now, this is a real insult, because any village, kind of one of the things in these ancient times, they were known for hospitality. When you have a, when you have a traveler coming through, people would literally open up their homes. So as they're traveling, no one welcomes them in, okay? But the reason, so Luke adds this little footnote. He goes, because... Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. It's as if, because Jesus was determined to get to Jerusalem, it made sense that no one in the community would welcome them in, because that's not where he belonged. He was on his way somewhere else. But James and John, they're not on, they're not in tune with that. And so it says this, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked the Lord, or they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? from heaven to destroy them? Am I the only one that when you read that, you're like, these are my kind of guys. Like, I love it. They're like, they're traveling. Laura Laura and I and our family, we were on a road trip several years ago, cross country, ended up driving 7,500 miles. Going through, like, we were trying to go through the L.A. areas. We had driven out to California. Our car looked like Beverly Hillbillies. And we looked ridiculous. We drive into the Beverly Hills area, and we need to use the bathroom. I don't know. This is my theory. They locked the doors on this gas station. We drove up. All of us start falling out of the minivan. We walk up, and it says open. All the lights are on. And the doors are locked. And we got to use the bathroom. So we're like beating on the door. We're like, we know you're in there. <laughs> we're yelling at him. Now, me, if I had that kind of faith, I'd have called down fire on that gas station <laughs> as I was driving away. I'm like, oh God, that whole thing needs to just blow up. That ain't right. That's what's going on here. James and John are like, Jesus, you just said a word. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just a lot of faith. Like, it sounds really bad, but I like these guys. Like, I think we would have gotten along. But Jesus turned, and he rebukes them. And it, it, if you read it in another translation, it says, he said, I did not come to destroy, but to seek and save that which is lost. And then he, his disciple, and then he and his disciples went to another village. They just moved along. Fast forward to another point. Now they're in Jerusalem and James and John get get their mom to do the dirty work. So uh, their mom goes to Jesus and, and and it reads, it says this way, basically she said, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, would you have my, my sons, James and John, sit on your right hand, on your left? Like, let them be your right hand people. Let, let them be the closest, like they're your chief of staff. 
And, and then the very next verse in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, it, it says this. And when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. You notice the theme here. Jews hate the Samaritans. So when the Jews are passing through a Samaritan village, it spills out, doesn't it? It comes back at them. James and John, their mom, uh, you know, their sons of thunder, and their mom is like, hey, let my sons be on your right and on your left. And when the other disciples hear it, it spills out, doesn't it? They're indignant. They get a little bit of thunderstorm back at them. You, You notice how this plays out in our lives? One community can't get along with another community, and suddenly the, the, the spilling splashes. When, when your attitude uh, creeps out, you kind of get it back. Maybe you've sowed it into your home, into your marriage, into your relationships, and now it's splashing back on you. Maybe in the workplace, it's coming back at you, and then you're caught off guard. You're like, where did this come from? Jesus called them together. And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials ex- exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, and, he, and he, maybe he looked over at James and John for a moment, and he paused. Whoever wants to be great among you, you can kind of just see that look. You must must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, kind of looks and winks at John, must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the lesson, what Jesus is saying is that each of you, you and I, we need to experience a transformation. Not what the outside looks like. We don't need a repainting of the colors on the outside. We need a transformation on the inside. The stuff on the inside needs to be changed so that our that, that what fills us, this desire to be first, this desire to be served, this desire to be um, promoted is poured out and there's something new poured in. We need to be changed from the inside out. That's James and John's story. Two sons of thunder who need to be changed from the inside out. Here's what religion does. Religion promises you that if you paint the outside, the inside will be different. If you look different, if you act different, it'll make you different. But that's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is that what's in you will destroy you and is destroying you. In fact, the truth is that every one of us from before we were born, there was, there was a toxicity, a poison poured into us. So no matter what else you pour in, it always, right? Like, if there was a really horrible poison at the bottom of this jar, and I filled it with water, and then I dumped it out, filled it with water and dumped it out, how many times would I have to do that before you'd feel comfortable drinking out of it? Right? Probably never. Because you know at the base, there's poison, and every one of us have that. It's called sin. It's a spiritual poison living inside of us, and no matter what else you pour in, it's going to corrupt it. Sin corrupts everything. And it doesn't just corrupt, it destroys. So no matter what goes in, what spills out is 
poison-laced. And this sin poison that's in us destroys us and it hurts others around us and it leads to a forever far from God. And so what Jesus did was he came to purge and cleanse and transform us from the inside out. When you think of Jesus on the cross, the night before, The night before Jesus dies on the cross, it says that he goes into a garden where he is praying. He says, God, if there's any way, would you take this cup from me? What cup? The cup of all of this stuff that's in us, all that poison. Imagine all that poison that deserves an eternal death sentence. And all the judgment, all of that poured into one great cup. And then as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's dying. He cries out, it is finished. What's finished? I drank every drop from the cup. There's not another drop to be consumed. There is no more judgment against sin. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, they're forgiven. They're washed. They're cleansed. The the water of God's spirit is poured in and it's flushing us so that there's no more judgment of God against us. Meaning when you believe in Jesus by faith, you don't deserve any judgment. Jesus already took on what you and I deserved. You don't have to die and go into eternity without God. So let me pause. Maybe you've been spending all of your time trying to paint the outside, trying to look good on the outside, trying to do the right things on the outside. But what you and I need is a transformation on the inside. Can I encourage you? Would you pause for a moment? This isn't religion. This is about a God who loves you, a Jesus who is willing to come and die on the cross, rise from the dead to give you victory over this spiritual poison. The only way it can happen is if you and I believe in Jesus by faith, receive his love, and what fills, spills. God's love filling you and I. But it's got to begin with a a decision, a commitment, a I'm willing to say yes to Jesus by faith. Maybe you put a lot of energy into trying to change yourself. You realize, I can't do that. That'll never work. Because no matter how much energy you put you, you put into trying to change yourself, there's still poison at the bottom. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to come and transform you from the inside out. And so can I first, can I just pause, encourage you, if that's where you're at today, would you take a moment, allow God to come into your life and transform you? Would you allow God's spirit, which is invisible and eternal, to come and live inside of your spirit, which is also eternal and invisible. And his spirit, when he comes in you, he forgives you of sin. He enters in your life and he fills you with new life. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you're ready to make a commitment to Jesus, would you let someone know? Maybe the person right next to you, just bump them and let them know if you're joining us online, you let somebody in your home know or wherever you're at, you let somebody know. And would you let us know? Scan the QR code, please. Don't don't pass this moment by. Um, Take a moment, scan the QR code, fill out that form. One of our pastors will follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Now, you said yes to Jesus. His forgiveness fills. His spirit 
fills. Like James and John, you and I need to have a change from the inside out. Let let me give you a caution. The other day, uh, I was in a hurry. I was trying to get the boys uh, something to drink for one of the meals. And so I just grabbed two cups that were on the, um, you know, on the table. I just grabbed two cups and I went over to the, the water and I started filling them. And then I looked in them and I noticed that there was like some little floaty stuff. I was like, oh, that's gross. Here, boys. No, I, I dumped it out. Um, what happened was for breakfast, they had milk. But, you know, and, and they drank it all. But then there's that little bit of residue and you got to wash it out. You can't just rinse it out. You can dump it. In our hearts, there's still a little bit of that residue. And what God does is he starts to flush us. But you know, like you could be, you could love Jesus and every once in a while still say something wrong. And you're like, where did that come from? There's still some residue there, like milk residue. And there's some floaties in your heart. And then other people taste what's coming out of you. And they're like, and something's just not right. God is in the process of filling and refilling and transforming us. And God's spirit, when he pours it in, he doesn't just leave the residue of poison. He flushes it out of us. He's at work changing us. So when you're changed from the inside out, what's happening? Let me, let me jump back in the story of James and John. I'm going to give you like the end of their story. James's story came a lot quicker. We're going to jump over to Acts chapter 12. Now you're at the point where Jesus died, he rose, he ascended to heaven. The church is beginning and it's spreading. And now persecution comes against the church. In Acts chapter 12, that's where we pick up. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. So here's John. This guy whose mom wants him to be at the right hand of Jesus, who, you know, they want to call fire down from heaven on the Samaritan village, and he is the very first individual to put to death for his faith in Jesus as, as a martyr of the early church. Now you have Stephen, but this is the first of the disciples who's put to death. He, he, a selfless martyr. A servant. Jesus said, you want to be first? Be last. You, you want to be served? Serve. Give your life. Here's the guy who's transformed from a thunderstorm into a martyr. My challenge to you is what happens when God's spirit starts to pour into you. What begins to splash out of you is you begin to serve selflessly. You begin to give your life for others. Can I challenge you? Be changed to serve selflessly. Your life isn't about you. Here's what happens when God's spirit starts to pour into you, starts to flush out of you. What is he flushing? Toxicity. The, The residue of selfishness. And it comes out every once in a while. Sometimes it it surprises you, doesn't it? How selfish you are. Just me? I'm the only one? My, my kids, they know I have like little stashes of like my favorite goodies. I keep them in my bedroom closet so that I can go in there and eat my 
dark chocolate without anybody knowing. But they know. It's like they can pick up when daddy's in there eating his dark chocolate. And they come in, and then they're looking at me. Can I have a piece? And I'm like, you don't even like chocolate. Can I have a piece? So I have these little tiny bars. So I break them up in little pieces. I give them all one. By the time we're done, I got like one little tiny piece. And I'm amazed at how that residue of selfishness just creeps up. And I'm like, no, I want it for me. You know what God's doing? You know, Patrick, did you just see what got knocked out of you? That's good. Why? Because what you thought was a problem, the knocking is purging. It's cleansing you. You're resisting the very thing God is using to make you into someone more selfless. But he's going to keep bumping. He's going to keep pushing because he's got to get it out of you. He's got to flush out of you. And so here's the thing. What God is at work doing in your life is he's changing you into someone who serves selflessly. James. An example of someone who gives his life, who literally embodied the message of Jesus. You want to be first, be last. You want to be served, serve. You want to be master, be the slave. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than having to give up your life entirely. In what way is God allowing circumstances to bump against you, to cleanse from you your own selfishness, your own desire to be served? And God is saying, no, I want you to serve. I mean, we're in a, we're in a campaign right now you know, for our city where it's about caring for and serving others. Our goal is that this becomes a lifestyle for you. Let's jump over to the life of John. He doesn't just live a little longer. John is actually the last of the disciples to die. In fact, he's the only one that wasn't put to death. He wasn't martyred. They tried. They tried to kill him several times. John is the one that when Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks out and he says, John, my mother. And he asks John to begin to care for his mother, right? The, the oldest son is responsible. History suggests that John not only takes, you know, not only is caring for his own family, cares for Jesus' mother, Mary, relocates to the city of Ephesus where he pastors the church for several years. John writes, it's, it's impossible, it's likely that John writes the gospel according to John, the life teachings of Jesus from an eyewitness account, John also gets then uh, arrested. He, they try to kill him several times. They eventually um, put him in exile in the city uh, or the, on the island of Patmos, where on the island he has a vision of the end of times, and he writes it down in what's called the Book of Revelation. He writes three letters to the churches. They're called creatively, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in those letters, you get a glimpse <clears throat> into John's my throat's a little scratchy, and I'm thinking about drinking this, and I'm thinking, no, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to drink anything from here. <clears throat> um, listen to me. You, you get a glimpse into John's heart. First John chapter 2, verse 1. Dear children, Jesus, just say the word, we'll call fire down from heaven over the entire village and burn it up. And now at the end of his life, he's writing, to his church, to your children. And then if you keep reading, he goes, this, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete. 
complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Here's this guy who's lived life, and man, he's been brutally mistreated. They've tried to kill him. He's pastor the church, and later in life, he's going, dear children, let God's love live in you. Let God's love fill. So that what spills is the love of God. When you obey God, when God's love is in you, you are truly living the way Jesus lived. You and I, we're invited to be changed to love selflessly, to serve selflessly, and to love selflessly. If someone studied the life of Jesus as recorded in the Bible, and then they watched you, could you be accused of being a Jesus follower? Could you be accused of being like Jesus? Could you be accused of Jesus filling your life because of what's spilling out of you? That's not said to condemn or to judge. It's an invitation. Because you can't do this, right? You have to ask God's spirit to fill and to spill God's spirit to cleanse and purge what's going on. So like, and this, this isn't behavior modification. This isn't your, this isn't self-determination. I'm going to try harder to do better, to say the right things. No, the only thing you can do is yield and say, God, would you cleanse me? Change me to love selflessly. Love. Most powerful quality in the life of Jesus, who gave his life as the ransom, the payment for people who hated him, who were far from him. Love, an unconditional care, compassion, kindness, generosity, service to others. John writes just a few chapters later, this is 1 John chapter 4. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I, I got the wrong verse. Here we go. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. Meaning, this is how love is filled all the way up in our lives. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. One who fears is not made perfect love. He goes, perfect love drives out fear. In essence, the more your life is filled up with love, the less room there is for fear. And so much of the wrong stuff that comes out of us is driven by fear. At the end of the day, you know what Paul is really saying? He goes, this kind of change spills out, and it, it, there's an unending flow of it. It, it can't be stopped. When, when, the, when the love of Jesus is filling us, you're, this kind of change um, just, it spills out and it cannot end. It won't stop. That, that's my challenge and encouragement. You be encouraged that when you are willing to allow God's spirit to fill your life, you're being filled with the love of Jesus. And it is God's response to your home. It's God's response to the pain and the problems around you. When you see a crisis in your neighborhood and you're thinking, man, I, who, somebody needs to do something about that. That's somebody. 
change you. Because God wants this change to spill out of you. He's filling to spill. You are the response of God to the crises in your community. You are the response of God to the pain and the problems in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in your school, in our city, in our nation. If bitterness is coming out, it's because bitterness is in. If anger is coming out, it's because anger is filling. If fear is coming out, it's because fear is filling. Be careful what's filling your life. Would you allow God's spirit, Jesus' love, to fill you, to push out the fear, to push out the bitterness, the anger, the resentment? But you got to allow God's love to fill you. And when it does, it spills and it changes things. So can I take a moment? I want to pray over you. What I kind of, I guess, hope is that as you close your eyes, you'll have specific things in your heart that you're going, God, I need you to change this. There's some things I need purged out of me, some poison that needs to get washed out of me. Jesus, present ourselves to you. We know there's some, there's some poison residue in us that we don't want there. Would you wash it out of us right now? We can't do this on our own. We really do need your spirit. We need the promise of the message of Jesus to wash us. We need your spirit to cleanse us. God, where there's anger, would you wash it? Where there's hurt, would you wash it? Where there's bitterness, would you wash it? Where there's greed and selfishness and hurt and hate, would you wash it so that what fills is a selfless service and a selfless love. Make us loving. Make us a church, individuals that are selfless in the way we serve. Would we speak kindly, generously? Would we forgive quickly and compassionately? Would we see through the eyes of hope and faith, not judgment, not condemnation, not bitterness, love and compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared how when Jesus was on the cross and he's dying, he cries out, it is finished because he had drank the cup of God's wrath against sin. When you take communion, we're, we're taking communion together. Those of you joining us online, we hope that you had time to get ready for this communion moment. You have the little cups. We want to give you a moment to prepare yourself. But as you do, let me give you a challenge. Oftentimes, in a hurry, we can reference this idea of communion in a symbolic way. You have the symbol of the bread that represents Jesus' broken body. Symbol of the juice that represents Jesus' spilled blood. And it's true, on the night Jesus was betrayed, uh, Paul writes that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then at the end of the meal, he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. What you hold in your hand, yes, it is just a wafer and juice, but it is the presence of Jesus. He is present with you. And when you when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, Jesus was trying to give us a physical way of remembering 
we're joining in. We're, we're partaking in the presence of God. I mean, this is a holy moment, a sacred, awesome encounter where you know that wherever you sit, whether you're here in person, or you're joining us online behind a, a TV or a, a phone, Jesus is he's present with you. His spirit is right there. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.